De ras in Deventer wordt langer vastgehouden op verdenking van poging tot doodslag of zware mishandeling. Zondag werd hij op Schiphol aangehouden. De twee andere verdachten zijn op vrije voeten, maar moeten zich beschikbaar houden. De 37-jarige dader reed zondag in op een terras in het uitgaansgebied van Deventer. Daarbij vielen vijf gewonden. De gemeente Den Haag krijgt een speciaal meldpunt waar vraagtekens over de integriteit van bestuurders doorgegeven kunnen worden. Aanleiding zijn de problemen rond de Haagse wethouders De Mos en Gernawi, die verdacht worden van corruptie en schending van hun ambtsgeheim. Inwoners, ambtenaren en bestuurders van Den Haag kunnen hun klachten deponeren bij het meldpunt, waarna een onderzoek wordt ingesteld. De politie heeft een man aangehouden die vandaag een aantal medewerkers van advocatenkantoor Roethof in Amsterdam mishandeld heeft. Een secretaresse moest met verwondingen naar het ziekenhuis. Ze maakt het redelijk goed. De man richtte ook vernielingen aan in het pand. Volgens Roethof gaat het om een persoon die geen cliënt is van zijn kantoor. Waarschijnlijk was hij op zoek naar een collega die met Roethof samenwerkt. De Amsterdamse politie heeft de zaak in onderzoek. Het weer hier en daar wolkenvelden met wat lichte regen. Vannacht bewolkt, droog en niet koeler dan 12 graden. Morgen wisselen wolkenvelden en zon elkaar af. Tot zover het Radio Nieuws.
folks like you run my life so I should be willing to compromise Say all you demons go back to hell Save my soul, save myself Tracy Chapman, Crossroads. I'm here today with an exciting bunch of people. Uh, I'm Anastasia. Can I have everybody introduce themselves? Sure. I'm Sister Mary Amata. Um, on the campus, you've probably, if you're on the campus of Maastricht, you've probably seen a white habited sister walking around, and that's who I am. <laughs> um, I am a student chaplain, uh, student chaplaincy coordinator for the Catholic student chaplaincy. So, and I've been in the Netherlands for five years. We live in Sittard, and I work in Maastricht. So, uh, I'm V. I sometimes join the uh, the mass and the um, discussion nights that they have with the student chaplaincy. I'm Father uh, Angel. I'm from Venezuela. I am now 32 years old, and I have been working now in uh, the, in Maastricht the Basilic of St. Servas for now almost three years, and I'm missionary here in the Netherlands. Hello everybody, I'm Sachet, and if you've heard our episodes before, you've probably heard me before. I'm sitting here behind the console, making sure that we all can be heard. Back to Anastasia. Thanks, Sachet. Um, but that's who we have here today for today's Student Radio Maastricht. Um, I'm really excited because I I got everybody together to talk about um, faith and academia uh, and that kind of tension that we can see between um, uh, faith and traditional ideas of rationality. Uh, of course, this is a personal topic. People have their own beliefs that carry that are carried close to them. People have um, things they grew up with culturally or in their family. Um, and I'm super excited to have some people close to faith to talk to me about this, because I think coming from a background where I don't really have any experience culturally or within my family, um, I have a perspective that's quite different from you guys. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear about that. But directly, I wanted to talk about that kind of tension, because I know I've had friends who... Um, believe in God and say that maybe they're worried about their intellect being questioned because they do have this faith, but they're also pursuing a career that is um, within the realm of maybe STEM work or uh, different works, uh, different fields of work that require more quote-unquote rational thinking. Um, and that stigma against that stigma that being faithful means you can't be rational, I think is really interesting and comes from a deeply historical place, but also deeply rooted in the biases we have today. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. there are a couple of students who have just recently said, yeah, when I, when I say I'm Christian or when I say I'm Catholic, yeah. it's automatically like, what, what must they think of me <laughs> in, in my, my studies? Or one said, oh, I had the reaction like, I am, I, um, I think you're a really intelligent person, and and you believe in God. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of like a, a shock for the person who worked with her, but uh, but I think that's very common, yeah, um, very common experience for students. Yeah, 
I don't know if you have. No, I, I, I was doing some research and I, I was like, okay, where does this come from? I personally have had classes where we talked about um, the, the development of knowledge as an institution, um, epistemology, uh, the sources of um, the institutions as we understand universities to be today, um, where the foundation of science comes from. And it's really directly tied to a shift from um, traditional structures, uh, traditional social structures, towards a more eff uh, an effort to modernize those things, um, and that is where you see the shift to towards modernity and towards quote unquote rationality, um, and the rationalization of the structures that we understand, and often the the um, the de-establishment of those structures as well. Uh, and I, I was uh, looking back in my notes, actually, something I don't often do. Um, and I was like, okay, I, I re recognize that I've talked about this before. Um, and in my course about uh, multiculturalism, we talked a lot about secularization um, and, and the process of that, of that as it comes as a phenomenon to affect social stratas, uh, social structures, and how people ultimately understand and work within those structures themselves. Uh, so we, we talked about those different things, and um, there's a secularization the thesis that assumes that the further we move into modernity, the further we move from religion, but then there's also, that is a that is an idea that's highly critiqued, of course. Um, there's even the idea of post-secularization, which means that that thesis is in the past, and now we're moving towards the uh, resurgence of faith and resurgence of belief, um, and the resurgence of those previously uh, de-established institutions. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I I think this is all, post-modernity is a term that's always woo, <laughs> but I think, I think um, it takes a, a quote, per, post-modern perspective to understand and analyze these, uh, these deep-seated historical sources of, uh, of this paradigm shift. Um, I, I, that was a lot. I, go, I, went on, I went on a little monologue. I wish so I was in sorry. your class. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, those were just things that I was thinking, and it went kind of like, um, like uh, just, I don't know. Yeah, because I, I think we, um, yeah, there, there's nothing, there's some, something about the human spirit that mm -hmm. longs for truth, you know, and, and so I think as much as you study, as much as you, you, you and you're sort of, in this secular environment, there, you can't erase that longing in your heart for like true happiness and where does that come from and how, you know, how do I experience that and the, you know. So I think that that is always going to be a question that people, even if they try to say, I only want to think about all of these things on a rational level or if I, I only want to study science because that's measurable. But then you have, yeah, the human heart that just longs for, for something more. Mm -hmm. Um, that longs for those philosophical questions that that keep coming up in every era. You know, what is the meaning of my life? You know, so I don't know if. Yeah, no. I think from the beginning of time when people started communicating and starting thinking, people have always asked those questions like, "Where do I come from? How come I have this consciousness? Um, what's going to happen after me?" And everything that we have constructed for ourselves have has served as a tool to find an end, to find that universal truth. Um, personally, I don't think we're ever going to find like that truth, but I think we're not going to stop finding those tools. Um, and that's where I think this discussion between like rationality and, and, and faith is so fraught, because they're tools to find the same end, just in different ways. Actually, 
I would say they're not because yeah. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Thank you. Because um, the end, which with yeah, take like science. Mm-hmm. You know, the end is what is scientifically measurable. What can I, you know, what can I experience in the world around me that's material? Mm-hmm. But the faith is something very different. It's it it can. You know, you look at science and you can see that with the eyes of faith. You know, wow, God created this or that, you know, other religions might have different perspectives on that. But but then it, your goal is, why is it here? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very different goal. Yeah. Um, so on one sense, they're, they're, they're going along next to each other, the science and the re- reason. But faith... Um, it still has to be open to the truth that, you know, that yeah. end goal of the truth of, you know, here I am in my material body and I have neurons going off and you know, I'm nervous about speaking in front of, you know, <laughs> people. But, but then you have the, the spiritual part that's, um, that's different, a different plane. Yeah. I think either is how you are approaching, how you are approaching life, what are you now uh, asking something is, how do I came to exist and why do I exist? So people in, the, in our society of today, of today are more busy questioning their self, how and why. Then the point is, the second question is, how do I reach happiness or how do I reach the sinfulness of my life? So I think it's only how do you now present the question of your life, of your existence? Otherwise, you know, you are losing just the direction you need to walk towards. Otherwise, you are looking and walking without any direction. I think this is one of the biggest problems and challenges either of the people of today. Mm -hmm. I think purpose is hard (laughs) all the time. I don't... I think that'll always be so difficult. Um, and I, yeah, I, I know I feel lost quite often thinking about that. And I know that's a, that's a human experience across every culture, across every language. Like someone is always gonna feel like I'm unconnected. How can I find that connection? Um, and I think, I think that's scary. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. But when you start with the whole idea that, what you know, what do I long for? Mm-hmm. I long for this cup of water in front of me, or I long for a chocolate bar, or you know, we have these longings in our hearts that are kind of like on the material level, and yeah. it makes me happy, you know, to to eat that chocolate or to or to get a um, a good grade, or you know, those those are things. So I'm searching for happiness, and I think there's a there's a longing actually ultimately for how do I find happiness? So I think that purpose is already there, you know, because I think in every human being it's that longing for true happiness, and yeah, you. Um, you you search for it in many different ways. So you know the scientific world. There's a there's a satisfaction that comes from. Okay, I know this. I've broken the you know the the puzzle of the human person, and I you know all of those things. It's it, there, but there's a happiness that comes from that. And um, so the purpose of our life is really that. But then, what is ultimate our ultimate happiness? Mm-hmm. You know, where will that? What is that? So I think that that's yeah. And when you're only searching. Um, in the material sort of realm, 
um, you know, like you can't find it there. You know, I, I want more chocolate, <laughs> so I'm gonna <laughs> eat until I get sick. No, <laughs> um, or or things die. You know, yeah. my my dog dies, and what do I do about that? You know, I can't be happy with him anymore. So, um, yeah, so that that is hard. It's a, a hard thing, but I think that people with faith, um, they have an answer that's beyond the scientific world um, for that question. Because mm-hmm. I think Cause I think, I think with um, science as we think about it in popular culture like there's always what can we figure out next where can we go how further can we go can we go to the next planet can we keep going into space mm-hmm. can we find the next particle that's even the smallest denomination of like uh, atoms that we can understand can we split that can we can we fashion a new element mm-hmm. like we know mathematically it should be there how can we figure out a way to make that uh, a, a practical and realistic uh, element um, but I think with such an, a, a tradition as old as, as faith is, like since the beginning of time, people have always looked to something bigger than themselves. A lot of those things have have largely been, I mean, not figured out, because of course these are questions that can never be figured out, but there's always, people have thought about ways to think about them before. Uh, and I think that's, um, I think that's a much different thing than what science has, uh, popular science as we think about it. Um, because, of course, as we'll talk about, those things aren't as uh, oppositional as we understand them, of course. Because you have people like St. Albert the Great. Um, he was in Cologne, so you can go visit his grave, actually. <laughs> and he was a scientist, and mm-hmm. he loved science. And he had, like, the biggest butterfly collection, I think, in the world. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so at the time, Yeah. So the time he was, you know, he just, science fascinated him. And yet he was a a man of great faith, yeah. you know. So I, I think that that's, and you see that in the history of the church, and even now, you know, there are people who are people of faith, but they they love science because it, you know, wow, what can we know mm-hmm. about about ourselves in the world? So I think that's lovely. I think uh, I think I'm going to transition to a song. Um, B showed me this lovely song, and she, before she showed me, she goes, Anastasia, listen to this, listen to this song. It sounds like the happiness you feel when you see bubbles in the sunshine. And I was like, bubbles in the sunshine? The happiness I feel when I see bubbles in the sunshine? And I was like, how, how can I feel that in a song? And then I listened and I was like, oh, oh God, this is what bubbles in the sunshine sounds like. Um, so this song is called, oh, goodness, it's Japanese. Uh, Amamizu by uh, ooh, Masakatsu Takagi. And I think uh, we'll play it for you.
bubbles in the sunshine. <laughs> I think before the break, Sachit had something uh, to add to the conversation, and I so rudely cut him off. The interesting thing here is that Anastasia isn't looking at me where she's sitting, <laughs> so I just opened my mouth at random intervals and shut it like some sort of goldfish behind the console. It's uh, it's an interesting position to be in. But before I go on with my continuation of the discussion, I just have to say that this was such a beautiful song. It's This is like everything I look for in music, and uh, thanks, B, this was a great recommendation. The whole album is like that. I've been listening to it over and over while I study lately. I just think it's really cute. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to check out the album, and I think our listeners might also do well to check it out so getting back to our discussion i really liked what i was listening to but in particular i wanted to uh, respond to sister maria matha um i think her comments were very interesting but uh, i'd also like to say that i i hear uh, a dichotomy in this conversation which i don't necessarily perceive as uh, a given which is of science versus faith of course the historical precedent necessitates that we must discuss this at some point but I think we have reached a point where science and belief in the broadest, broadest sense are, need not be considered as, as opposites. Um, and I think there are plenty of examples, perhaps outside of Western society, where the two have coexisted. And I'd like to bring, it, um, bring your attention to Ramanujan, who was possibly the foremost mathematician of the last century, one of the most brilliant mathematicians of all time. And he was very, very deeply religious. And uh, he, in fact, attributed a lot of his uh, discoveries to some sort of divine force. And uh, it was it was rather frustrating for mathematicians around him because he would just write theorem after theorem that had no explanation whatsoever, no precedent, no workings out. And uh, when he died, he left behind a book containing a number of theorems. I believe there were more than 20, which solved extremely important problems in mathematics and which had no explanation and no derivation. And yeah, it was up, up to the other people to pick it up and go like, you know, all right, how do we prove that this guy knew what he, what he knew, you know? So, um, and uh, with, this, uh, with this example, I'd like to illustrate what I think about belief, which is that um, science as uh, something that we do is a practice. It is an occupation. It is something we choose to do with our lives. It, it is work. It is recreation. But uh, that is an, it's, uh, an extrinsic thing that we do. It's, it's externally focused. It's what we choose to do with our time. Nothing that we ever do with our time can resolve the conflicts that are within us. And I'm speaking as a musician. I'm speaking as somebody who daily practices an emotional art, somebody who has bring forward to uh, the stage what he feels on the inside. And while I might resolve things on the stage, I might go home and I might feel miserable for no reason whatsoever. So being a musician doesn't automatically exempt me from reflection, from having to deal with every little you know, bit of anxiety in, in me or sadness. And so, And I think it is the same for every profession, including science. So when a scientist goes home, they are faced with the same fear, the same loneliness, the same doubts as everybody else. And I think it's just a matter of history and precedent that scientists naturally turn towards continental analytic philosophy to answer their questions. It's an extension of scientific thought. But it's not. But that's an assumption that can be questioned. And I think today you would find scientists and people in other so-called rational fields who might who might search for alternative means of, you know, resolving these conflicts. Because eventually there is no rationalization of these conflicts. There are no rational answers that will give us security. So I wonder what, the, what everybody on the table thinks about that. Um, I think it's really interesting what you said about history and, like, the different cultures that come into play because I lived in, the, um, like, rural Iowa in the suburbs, 
where it was very religious. And then I came over to the Netherlands when I was like 12 and it was a huge change because here everyone, well, not so much in Maastricht in the South, but um, where I lived in The Hague, it was either very like secular, like atheist or at least agnostic. If you were religious, it was, it wasn't really looked down upon, but it was kind of like, hmm, a little bit. And I think in, in academia, it's a little bit the same. I think it depends on the context as well. But in certain situations, like if you're talking about, like in, in our class, I was with Anastasia, um, we were talking about like Kant and um, Newton and everyone, and their ideas were looked at with like reverence, is that the right word? But um, when it came to religion, it was the same kind of, hmm, not, not so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think one of the things that popped out at my, popped into my brain when you were talking, Sachet, is, is that right? Sachet. Yes, that's right. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, is that um, some people make a religion of science. And I think mm. that, the, that often that becomes the end. And so it isn't just a work that I do. It's the whole, it is the whole philosophy behind that that undergirds it. And so I think in that respect, um, and there, I, th I think there are many people who do do that. Um, so that's one thing. Um, but I understand what you mean. And I think that there, yeah, there are many people of deep faith who who what they do scientifically is, and there's, their reasons behind it are different motivation maybe for others, but, um, but yeah, it's a work that they do for the, for the greater you know, good of humanity. And, and um, so I think you're right. Your point is good, right? <laughs> Glad to hear <laughs> Just, it. Just, <laughs> uh <-huh. truthful. laughs> Yeah, uh, shout out to my dad. He works in um, genetics, but he's always said that he, he doesn't specifically have faith in any God. He has faith in people and what good they can do. I, I just thought that was interesting because you were talking about the difference between like faith and like science before. Mm. My dad, like he's always said it's the same thing for him. Mm. I think every, every, every people on earth is really busy explaining everything. And science is always explaining something outside. Instead, faith is starting within me, who I am and explaining myself. I'm trying to understand who I am, how is my existence now, and why I'm here on Earth. So I'm not explaining, or before explaining the outside, the world, and explaining myself. I'm looking into myself. I'm just now willing to get an answer of my existence. And understanding myself, I may understand the outside. So I really like science. But you know, science you may approach, with faith and you are really is you are understanding such many many things in another vision you know and I don't think science is opposite on faith because either faith is explaining life is explaining existence is explaining why is explaining how everything and I think every every people on earth is always always uh, 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 trying to explain the existence and not only the existence of myself, but either the, the earth, the animals, everything. And I don't think, I, personally, my experience, you know, I have born either in not practicing Catholic family. So I was baptized, but I didn't went to the church at all. Uh, not only one time a, a year, 
I was not going to the church. The point was questioning myself, why my life? I've got everything. So my parents, my father was a, a farmer. We have got a lot of money. As a child, I did have everything I wanted to have in life, everything. I studied in the best school in Maracaibo, in my city, and I have got everything I wanted in life. And at a certain point, you know, came experience of death in my family. I say, why now life? Why do I need to study? Why do I need to walk? Why do I need to drink? Why do I need to be alive? Why all my life? Someday is coming death and it's taking away everything. And science could explain me why death, what came after or before life. So this is why, you know, looking for a deeply question of my existence, I came to faith, to, to God, you know, and he was explaining me my life. So uh, uh, I think, you know, and, and at this point, meeting God in my life as a person, you know, a God who is, I don't know where, but a God who is present in your life, who is looking at you, you may understand either your life, you may understand where is your really happiness, you know, because I have got everything, but I was not satisfied. I was studying the big, in the biggest and, and best school, but I wasn't satisfied. There were problems, challenges, difficulties, and uh, problems that I didn't have the answer for about. So this is why understanding myself, who I am, why I'm on earth, why God has given me life, and what is now happiness about, I may give another dimension in my life. So I explain my life and I explain in the life of everyone. So I think science is helping us to understand the how, but the why of my life faith is giving such explanation, but either such dimension and experience of happiness that science can't give me or guide me to the real happiness. And I think this is something that is only a grace to 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 get into it. Exactly that. Um, that reminds me of a conversation I had with my friend. He, we were talking about um, political activism as a student. How can you be involved in a better community? Um, and he said that you can't begin to effect positive change until you understand and love yourself. Um, if you are in a place where you're insecure personally, insecure with food, um, maybe struggling with school, mm -hmm. until you understand and appreciate and work towards your own safety and your own stability, you cannot begin to offer stability and safety to other people. Um, and I think I think that goes with 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 anything, any realm of uh, of life. Until you can find a point of stability and love mm -hmm. for yourself, can you not? Uh, can you finally begin to bring that love and stability to another uh, another thing? Mm, yes. Interesting, because I I think for me what kind of saved me not in like a religious sense. <laughs> I mean, yes. well, yes, in a religious sense, but but what saved me is giving myself to others because. I remember in high school, mm -hmm. I was miserable, you know, I, my, we grew up in a military family and we moved every single, you know, th every three years or so and um, terrible. And so my high school, I went to three different high schools. So by the end, I was like, I'm done. I'm done making <laughs> friends. You know? I'm done, you know, all, with all these things. And I, I was miserable. And I remember um, 
there was a week that we went and we went to Philadelphia, which is in the super poor section of Philadelphia mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. in America. And um, we helped poor people for a whole week. And these were the poorest of the poor. They call it the armpit of America because it's just so <laughs> terrible there. And they don't even have enough money to, for guns. You know, most people think in Europe that everybody has a gun in America, but, <laughs> but we don't. And um, so anyway, giving myself to these people, it was like, I found myself. And I think that there's something, yes, what he said, what your friend said was very true. But I think there's also something in the human spirit that we, we need to give of ourselves. Yeah. And what, that's what love is, it's mm-hmm. self-gift. And so we come to understand who we are um, in that gift of self. And actually, mm-hmm. um, the Pope John Paul II, he was the Pope a couple years ago, <laughs> two, two popes ago, um, three popes ago. And he, he said that very thing that we, mm-hmm. we, um, we yeah, love is self-gift and, um, and we come to know ourselves in that, in that self-gift. So, yeah, I think, um, and I don't know if we've, uh, I wanted to go back to Satchett's original question about faith and, and reason. Sure. Um, because I think actually, yeah, and that same Pope John Paul II, he wrote a whole letter to the world <laughs> called Faith and Reason. And it's a great letter. I mean, it's very philosophical, and but it starts from like, what can we know, you know, in, in our, with our human reason, um, but also um, how can faith and reason go hand in hand with each other? And I, it's an excellent, mm-hmm. I would encourage anybody to read that, that um, is halfway interested in this. <laughs> yeah. So it's very good. Certainly. Um, that... That makes me think so. I One of my favorite people who has ever been on this earth uh, is Carl Sagan, um, mm. an uh, astronomer from, did a lot of stuff in the 1980s. He had the PBS um, show Cosmos, which is like a, um, a talk through about space, time, the universe, different uh, astronomical events. Um, and it was the first of its kind to of be a public broadcasted uh, program to be highly accessible. Uh, and he also has written several books, some nonfiction, some fiction. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is Contact. Um, it follows the story of a, uh, a radio astronomer. Um, in the movie, she's played by Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, of course, is in contact with extraterrestrial life. Um, and through like some science-y things, she meets that alien mm-hmm. who takes the form of her deceased father. Uh, to communicate with her in a really personal way. And to her, this is a, an hi- a highly spiritual experience. She has to consolidate life and death and her relationship with her father and what those mean to her and mean to her life and mean to the people around her. And she comes back and she tries to explain this, um, but everyone around her and her herself have a really hard has a really hard time consolidating these two competing ideas of how can I have had this really interesting experience with an alien, but still have so much emotional turmoil within myself. Um, and ultimately, the the guy who was played by Matthew McConaughey in the movie, he um, he is always positioned oppositionally to, uh, to Jodie Foster. Um, but at the end, he is the only person who says, I believe you. Um, I, am a, I am a person of faith, and I think that you are telling the truth because we are seeking a similar truth. And I think we're on the way to find it. Um, and I just, mm. I thought that was an amazing thing, especially coming from Carl Sagan. Um, I think in the 80s, he was really positioned by the media as uh, um, violently uh, atheist for the fact that he was often combating um, the, the, cre- the creationist museums 
uh, in the 80s. A couple of them would be popping up, and he was a big proponent of evolution being taught in schools. Mm. Um, but besides for that, his writing and his upbringing, he was uh, brought up as Jewish, um, really imply that that one-sided idea of who he is as a person because of his uh, career isn't isn't the case, practically or in theory. Um, and I think I think that's a a wonderful thing to add to the conversation. It's also interesting here to note that uh, Contact is just one in a series of uh, sci-fi mm-hmm. films that address this boundary between transhumanism and faith. Mm-hmm. Um, most famously, 2001 A Space Odyssey has an extremely interesting ending, se- ending sequence, which I will not spoil for <laughs> a few people, maybe four in the world who still haven't seen it. And uh, there's a similar, similarly interesting ending in Tarkovsky's um, Solaris. Is it Solaris that I'm thinking of? Um, who, who he basically sought to well best uh, Kubrick at his game Tarkovsky that was a mistake but apart from that <laughs> <laughs> apart from that it's, it was a good movie and um, again at the end of these movies there is this um, th- there's this interesting situation where uh, technological progress uh, transcends a singularity and it's indistinguishable from magic uh, there's, a, there's a famous quote about that about technology being indistinguishable from magic as well and uh, there's also a component, a component of transhumanism and uh, super intelligence there that makes you wonder at you know how we can comprehend such massive powers because there's no reasonable there's no uh, logical apparatus to do so and you mentioned also um, that whole idea of evolution mm-hmm. and you know that that's um I think it's really important to to teach the truths of science and, exactly, and to yeah. treat yeah, but going hand in hand with faith. So um, the way we've been doing that, so we teach you know um, religion classes to mm-hmm. um, little kids. <laughs> we're teachers, the sisters, and um, and we're teaching the Dutch some of the Dutch um, schools uh, religion. And um, what I've noticed is that when children realize, oh, I can believe that that in the like in the big bang and in this sort of development of of the world over time and i can believe that god started that there's this relief that comes oh it's not like i'm crazy for believing you know in in an evolution of things that happened but as long as it begins with god as a faith, someone with faith believes uh, you know who banged the big bang <laughs> who yeah. started you know that and and i think that that's really important to be able to talk in an intelligent way about about science but then also to give the to say yeah we we are faithful people and yet we do say yeah th- this is this is actually how you you can't deny yeah. an evolution mm-hmm. of a of a species, you know, through through time, and but as long as you, like, for, for a person of faith, will say, as long as you hold the truth of that there was a creator, and um, he 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 had a um, he's an intelligent being, and he had an order in mind, and all of that, you know, you can talk about that, but um, but yeah, I, I think that's really important, and so I, I think yeah, I just wanted to throw that out into the discussion yeah. too, yes. and I I think those 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 ideas of these things are so highly connected have that's been around for forever plato had the idea of a demiurge which was um a being of uh unknown stature who could incite and create things in the universe he was known as the artisan um like uh rene descartes had a a space left for god in his theories mm. um was that the the clock worker the clock maker yes. clock, clock maker. maker yeah exactly mm. um and 
those ideas have been around for forever. Plato, he was alive a really long time ago. <laughs> and and so those that idea of how can we understand this world in a holistic way, that's that's never going to stop. Mm-hmm. And also to use, I guess, yeah, the whole idea of um, reasoning to like, God's existence, mm-hmm. that that's possible, yeah. you know, for, uh, for an intelligent person to say, okay, not not going into like, J- Jesus is God and all of that, <laughs> but, but just saying that there's a first mover, that's what those early, you know, yeah. th- those early philosophers would say, that you can reason to that, you know, there's, there's this life is, um, yeah, like I said earlier, things die, and there's nothing that, that endures, and so and if that... <laughs> that keeps coming. Uh, yeah, there's this endless. There can't be an endless cycle of of that. There has to be a something that began that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't create myself. My mom didn't create herself. You know, you're going back and back and back. It can't go back and back and back endlessly. You know, and so I think that that's you can reason to that that there's a, f- a beginning, a first mover. You you could say, and mm-hmm. and we as a believer we call that God. <laughs> so. Um, Stephen Hawking wrote a book about this in 2010 called The Grand Design. I don't know if anybody here is familiar, but it was the second book of Stephen Hawking's that I had read in high school, the first being A Brief History of Time, which is extremely famous. And I remember being utterly disappointed by the by the grand design because after reading A Brief History of Time, I wanted to hear more about physics, you know, not about how in the first um, uh picosecond of existence there was no space for God as somebody who was just fascinated with science as a teenager I, I did not actually care about the question of the of grand design I only cared about quantum physics and I wanted quantum physics in a digestible format uh, being written by my favorite scientist and with uh, some you know humor involved that only a fellow physics nerd would get instead I got something that was pretty much uh, what, what you might call scientism propaganda, which I think uh, mm-hmm. goes back to what Sister Mary Amata was saying. Uh, it, that it, um, I think this, that, that, that is the kind of book that um, emerges from science being considered as some sort of, you know, relig- as, as science being conflated with a religious framework. Uh, at best, this, um, it, it, it uh, turns away potential readers of more Stephen Hawking, such as me, uh, from almost a decade ago. And uh, at worst, I think um, unnecessary belief in some in in you know what you do can make you blind, because if you if you do one thing and you're so you're so immersed in it that you try and use it to explain everything around you, even if it is in fact of uh, you know an apparatus to explain things, you have to have the humility, the self awareness, and the um, and the ability to step out of it and say, I don't actually know everything. And even this, this system that attempts to understand everything exists because everything is not knowable. Um, so, you know, a scientist who comes back to his or her family and their, and their children, they do have to put away the fact that they believe in certain things and they believe in other things to be with their family. And I think the questions of personal belief should be resolved in a certain way. Even if some people do eventually choose to get back to metaphysics to answer their yeah. questions, I think that's completely fine. But but I think it it would be to the benefit of everybody to make the separation that this is what you do for a living, and how you answer questions about why uh, 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 you know any kind of question that disturb you or concern you, you do that in a completely different way with a blank slate. Mm. Yes, I think uh, now we're going to take a break. Um, the sisters brought in a song called "I Shall Not Want" by Audrey Assad. Beautiful song, beautiful voice. 
Um, so I'm just gonna put it on and enjoy. Yes, uh, Shall I Want by Audrey Saad, beautiful song. Um, in the break, we were talking about uh, Sachet's comment on humility, and uh, Sister Mary Lucy brought up that th th this song is this song is about humility, which I thought was a, I thought was a wonderfully coincidental. <laughs> I thought that was lovely. 
Um, I, uh, oh, yes? The uh, Obama thing? Yes, so B points out the Obama thing. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is, uh, just, just think of the context of what you say before you say it. Oh, go no. on, go on. Well, okay, so I was doing some uh, some research on the internet, and I was looking for um, different, uh, different like, examples of things we could talk about that mm. I could bring to the table today. And in 2009, President Barack Obama nominated a geneticist named Francis Collins uh, to head the National Institute of Health. Um, Francis Collins uh, is Christian, um, raised Christian his whole life, has written multiple books about um, his faith and his uh, career as a scientist. He's a, he's a world-renowned uh, renowned, uh, geneticist. He um, spearheaded the Human Genome Project and uh, has been a director for the, the Genome Institute of Humanity something 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 for quite a long time now. Loving the something, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, genomes, genetics. I'm sure it's super important. I'm, something, I'm something, sure it's something. really important too. They, they sequenced the genome. They did that. Uh, but at his, um, when he was appointed, there was a lot of like humdrum about uh, like his appointment because um, critics were saying like, President Barack Obama, why would you why would you nominate someone who is so devout to his faith? And then President Barack Obama, of course, responded with, "Why wouldn't I appoint someone who is so devout uh, devoted to um, his career and his uh, his professional life? Look at his achievements. Look at what he's done. His research, um, his uh, his career as a, an official and efficient and productive director of these several different institutions, um, and." That was that was uh, a discussion in two thousand nine between like where do we place more importance and mm-hmm. how is that importance justified and valued and where does this valuation come from because yes. it certainly comes from somewhere uh, and uh, I thought that was a really interesting example to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. I, <laughs> I think everyone, you know, the point is if you are saying now, explaining now that yeah. you are now a believer, that you are believing in God and 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 sometimes you are of people are a little bit uh, surprised that you are believing, that you are that you have faith in someone. You know but either someone who is telling I don't believe anywhere, he's mm-hmm. believing that he is not believing in anywhere of in anyone. So everyone is believing yeah. in some theory, mm-hmm. in some kind of life. I'm believing in myself, I'm believing in light, I believe in, in earth. I don't know, everyone is believing. Because why? Believing faith is searching someone or something who is greater, is bigger, is explaining everything, is giving, is giving sin to my life. And since the beginning, every, every man of earth is looking, searching for truth, mm-hmm. to believe. We need to believe in something, in myself, in God, in power, in light, I don't know. And um, you know why? Because we experience it. Every people, every person is experiencing that everything who is mater- uh, that is material is passing away. So something should exist who is no passing away, who is remaining everywhere and every time. So everyone, this is why everyone is believing. <laughs> So yeah. and it's, and is now the contradictory thing is that if you are now believing, if you are a believer, you are something strange. Instead, everyone is believing. Yeah, everyone, everyone <laughs> is a believer. Has something yes, because everybody like 
that stability in your life right. is so important and it's so uh, integral to how someone sees themselves and the world around them. Um, and without a stable understanding, like things get scary, things get crazy. Um, it's hard to function when you don't have that safety. Yes. Um, and every, of course, that's something everyone needs. Mm. Um, I, I, uh, I got the motion to wrap things up a little bit, um, but I want to uh, kind of close out this discussion with again a quote from Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Contact. It's uh, it's when Jodie Foster kind of it hits her that these are the things she's experiencing, um, and. He, he says, she has studied the universe all her life, but had overlooked its clearest message. Mm-hmm. For, small such, for small creatures such as we, the vastness is only bearable through love. And I think, I think that's so important because we are people, we have this life, and it's so important to find that network of love and positive change and affecting mm-hmm. the others around us in, in, in lovely ways. And I think, I think centrally, yes. that's what we all want. Do you know what was uh, pulling me and, and helping me to believe mm-hmm. in God was that I was experiencing, you know, that I was loved by my mother and father just with conditions. I need to be good mm-hmm. to go to school. I need to behave. I need to be someone, either by my friends, by my everyone. Anchor, you know, love was put in barriers and was put in either conditions to be loved. But when I hear sometimes God love you as you are, you don't need to change. You are amazing creature for God. For God, so this love was giving meaning to all my life. Mm-hmm. So a love that doesn't end, a love that is just loving you as you are. So love is given done since, and I, you know, when I hear it. I went open for this love. And I was before, I wasn't believing in, and I wasn't going to the church, and I wasn't practicing any, in anything. So I just was looking, as she was telling uh, before. So I knew deeply in that love was the best things in my life. The love of my parents, the, the love of my friends, but it wasn't what I was looking for. You know, the best friends was going away <laughs> because I wasn't doing what he was expecting from me or because I wasn't telling what I supposed to tell. So this, uh, uh, the things is, I think, uh, is uh, this love that, that, that is finding me, that is really loving me as I am, who is giving really such power, not to asking the other to love me, but I'm willing the happiness of the other one. It is why I'm giving myself to love the other one. Because I just now remembering some words of St. Paul II, who say, remind that love is doesn't, doesn't put barriers, doesn't put conditions. He just love. Mm-hmm. And love should be unconditional. I encourage everyone to find someone or something they can love unconditionally because that's that's beautiful and that's what we need um so give someone a hug <laughs> tell tell someone you love them um do something you like have a milkshake <laughs> enjoy something 
I, I want to say thank you to everybody for joining me today. This has been lovely. Can I make a sh- shameless oh, commercial? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, shameless plug. <laughs> yes. Can you, um, if you're interested in, in contacting Father or, or me or any of the Catholic campus ministries, MaastrichtCatholic.com. <laughs> <laughs> and there are English um, yeah, activities for the English-speaking people, especially Mass. Um, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. So, yes, <laughs> welcome thank to you. join us. Thank we you, just sister. open just for a conversation, for a discussion, and everything. Yeah. You're more than welcome. Yep. I, I again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I uh, I want to quickly say thank you to all of you, um, and I want to say thank you to Code Zero Four Three for helping us bring this program to life, and thank you to RTV Maastricht for offering us a space to have this program. Um, there are some things going on in Maastricht, a uh, cultural agenda, karaoke night at Cafe Rosé tomorrow, um, October 26th. There is a concert hosted by Rhea in Amsterdam. Check on Facebook. Uh, October 30th, there's a lecture titled Climate Change is Violating Our Rights? Question mark, hosted by Amnesty International uh, Maastricht students at the law faculty. And of course, Halloween is the 31st. Have a happy, 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 happy Halloween uh, and be safe. Um, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week. Have a great evening. Uh, I think we have a tiny bit of time. Actually, no, we don't. <laughs> thank you so much. Goodbye. like sun lays me down with my mind she runs U luistert naar RTV Maastricht 87.5 op de kabel 107.5 in de ether Dit is ons thuis met het radio nieuws de Amerikaanse president Donald Trump heeft bij een persconferentie in het Witte Huis bekendgemaakt dat hij de sancties tegen Turkije gaat opheffen. Volgens Trump heeft Turkije beloofd om het staakt het vuren dat nu van kracht is in Noord-Syrië permanent te maken. Hij zei ook dat hij Amerikaanse troepen in de regio wil houden waar de VS olie hebben. Hij nodigde andere landen uit het conflict tussen Turkije en Syrië te helpen oplossen. Bij een Italiaans restaurant op het Hugo de Grootplein in Amsterdam-West is bij een schietincident één persoon gedood. Er viel één ernstige wonde. Volgens een getuige zijn de eigenaar van het restaurant en een medewerker het slachtoffer.